Hello and welcome to Deep Impact, a proud member of the Doof Network, where we dive deep into Wildbo's most nocturnal work five years on. Coming up next is Elliot Diebold. And that was Urban Morehouse. And we are back to talk about Cine DA 14.9. Um, mm-hmm. It really feels like this is the first chapter of the endgame, right? <laughs> yeah. So like, from memory of how long Cine DA was, I think we've got one or two chapters left. It wasn't so that long. It, it was only one like... night. Yeah, exactly. Um, it was, yeah, well, so there's only, there's only two arcs left, so we'll just about get to dawn. Um, <laughs> yep. But, yeah, I don't know. Like, you're right. There's The way this chapter lends it up, it's sort of feeling like next chapter is all going to be everyone figuring out what the fuck's actually going on, and then we're going to head into arc 15, which is just going to be the uh, f- first half of the clusterfuck final battle. Yeah. Um, like that, that's that's yes. definitely the vibe I've gotten from this <laughs> yeah, chapter. Definitely. Um, so th- this chapter follows on from Mara being, you know, captured, uh, and Rose basically goes on ahead to the house to try and stop whatever thing is going to happen with Johannes. Uh, and Blake basically decides to heed Mara's warning and stay behind to follow, uh, catch up at a later point. Yep. Uh, and obviously, Rose takes a much bigger group of of people. Uh, which, you know, they, they sort of just agree on and it's it's never spoken out loud, but Blake thinks on it. And this is this is this is an important representation of him him seeding this this fight. Um, yeah, like, like we last chapter, he's just sort of told her he's going to give up. And I think that this is him following through on that a little bit by letting her take the much bigger group. Yeah, I like that. I, I, I didn't think of it that way, because obviously the explanation in the universe makes a lot of sense. Like, Mara is defeated, so obviously they need the manpower for whatever is about to happen with Johannes. But it, it does very nicely mirror the fact that Rose <laughs> is, by their agreement, you know, the the main one now. Yeah, like, I, I'm sure both of them thought about it, but, like, you just don't talk about stuff like that. Yeah, they they seem to have made a bit of an unspoken agreement to to <laughs> let that yeah. sleeping dog lie. Now that they've reached a tentative peace. I, I and I mean that's best. Like every time they open their mouths, they're at risk of making things worse between the two of them. Yeah, I think just shutting the hell up is is probably the right call. <laughs> yeah. Um. So the interesting thing here that happens, in my opinion, is they basically just completely trust Mara on her saying hey Blake you should stay back like mm. obviously she can't lie but obviously she she can be deceptive and she is being deceptive throughout this entire chapter right but they they don't really yeah. have time to dig into whether they're being misled so they kind of just have to go along with it which is f- a fun little beat no you're totally right because the reading this on on a second read through all the bits here where she talks about how Blake should stay behind or where she implies Blake should stay behind they're all phrased as questions like, she doesn't say, oh, Blake should stay behind. What she sort of says is, hmm, like, you know, what could the meaning be of someone from the abyss such as yourself uh, going to a place that's on the brink like that be? And Blake is like, hmm, yes. And, and it's like, no, she, she phrased it as a question. That means it's bullshit. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, but it's, um, yeah, yeah. She, she hides it. She hides it very cleverly. Yes. And we later get the confirmation that she is explicitly stalling for time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i love that bit where she's kind of like oh i thought i was just skirting a lie there but fine um <laughs> it's pretty good <laughs> yeah 
um no it, it's 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 great um so uh, yeah, i want to pull out this other quote that i only really noticed on the second read this is a perfect example of the kind of thing that doing a second read really helps with is there's this bit where blake is having these intrusive italic thoughts still about that are that are clearly like negative towards rose yeah like he he uh, she asks Tiffany to stay behind to look after Blake, and Blake thinks look after or keep an eye on. Um, uh, sorry, it's not Tiffany. Anyway, Tiffany asks, you know, where do you want me? And Rose says, come, as as if she were talking to a dog. And these are both italicized, and I love it because it's clear that Blake's subconscious hasn't fully accepted the Rose is going to, you know, <laughs> be, be the body at the end of this uh, pact that they've made. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And the... Uh, it's it's very fun like it's something we saw a lot last last chapter as well i'm so interested to see where these two manage to stand two arcs from now uh because yeah. i think they have agreed on a truce but everything inside both of them is not helping them to meet that like blake's yes. got the abyss which wants him to fuck shit up yeah and and um you know he's obviously got the natural thing that they both have and then rose also has the karma that's pushing everyone against her and presumably any power she taps from Conquest is going to, like, pressure her to, like, remind Blake that she's the one on top. Yeah, which to conquer him, not right? Help. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> which would absolutely not help the situation, her reminding him that I'm the real one. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. It, and not just that. I mean, Blake uh, pretty explicitly... Uh, didn't gel well with how much Conquest wanted to dominate him back in that whole yes. portion of the story. So I'm sure it can't help repair them if it, any amount of Conquest energy seeps into Rose's behaviour. I mean, there were extenuating st- circumstances as to exactly why Conquest in particular did yes. not, uh, agree with Blake. But, uh, I mean, obviously Rose has plenty of her own unique extenuating circumstances too, so it's still going to be bad. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh I also want to quickly talk about this thing Blake thinks on after Rose and her group leaves, which is, uh, like, obviously something that Myra brings up later in the book is, oh, sorry, later in the chapter, is this idea that uh, what Johannes is going to offer to everyone is something they think is going to fulfill their wishes, but it's actually going to leave them with a mockery, oh, sorry, a, a mockery of what they want, which of course is, you know, very packed. Yeah. Um, except Blake, who gets only misery. Um. I guess mm. because he's a wild bird protagonist. Yeah, can't have any seeds of happiness for him. <laughs> um, and, and so what's funny is is that all goes down later, but we, we there's seeds planted for it here because Blake thinks about how hollow he, his life is now. Like he got his wings, but it's not true freedom. Like he can't really fly. And in some ways that's worse. And um, like, I think that's starting to lay the seeds of him just totally buying this thing later about everyone getting a false version of what they actually want because he's he's already there like you know he's the one who's going to get not even the mockery of what he wants and that's because he's already at the point where he's gotten the mockery of what he wants so like his next step down is just getting nothing yeah yeah i think there's a number of beats throughout this entire chapter where blake thinks about how you know how he's not going to get a happy ending right and i yeah. i think that's really instrumental in him not going along with with what Johannes suggests later, which is basically, hey, I can give you a happy ending. And Blake is already so accepting of the fact that he's not going to get one that he just can't accept that deal. Yeah, I mean, that's true. I, I'm Because Johannes offers that at the end of the chapter, and I'm still sitting here trying to figure out what the other shoe that was going to drop there would, would be. 
or whether yeah. maybe Blake has been manipulated into saying no. Um, yeah, I, so I, I don't know. It, like, I'm so fascinated to see the discussion in the next chapter, which will hopefully clear some of that stuff up. Yeah, we'll see. Um, so basically Mara is offering Blake answers to what's actually going on here, but the price that he has to pay is time, right? Um, she, yeah. while she can't lie or they, they'll know if she lies, she doesn't have to say anything. So it's kind of just a, a bit of a waiting game. Um, and so, yeah, Mara has kind of regained her power a bit in this conversation. Yes, uh, we're right back to patient Mara. Like, of course, Mara's <laughs> found a way to turn her patience uh, into a power, power position again. Yeah. It's, it's pretty good. Um, I really hate Mara. <laughs> Not as a character. <laughs> I think she's a great character. But just, like, she's so irredeemable. She's possibly the most irredeemable thing we've seen since Pordrig, right? Um, yeah. Yeah, that's that's fair. Yeah, since Pordrig. Yeah, she's she's... I mean that that's not too long ago, I guess. Well, um, I guess it's a it's a competition. I think Pordrig <laughs> and her are the most irredeemable things in Pact. I mean, Poos is it, kind of. I mean, I don't know. Even Poos, even Poos, <laughs> I like more than Mara and Pordrig. <laughs> okay. Right? Okay. I don't know. Like, oh, fuck. She's just so. Every, she takes every opportunity she can to be the biggest piece of shit possible, right? And I guess at least she's open about it but that doesn't make it better <laughs> no no um i mean yeah i found it pretty hard to feel sorry for her uh as this chapter unfolds and and she loses this position of power yeah um so interestingly she is asking a lot of interesting and useful prompting questions right mm. and i'm kind of not sure if she's actually trying to get blake to think things or if this is just like Ask the kind of questions that you don't know the answer to, but you know that he also doesn't know the answer to. <laughs> like, one of the ones that I like here is she says, what is Granny Rose gaining from this, right? Well, she doesn't phrase mm. it that way, but close enough. Um, and it's it's so tantalizing having her have pieces of these answers, but it's it's never enough for it to click together. Like... It's such a good strategy. I would find it so hard to leave this conversation when you're so close to getting these answers. Oh, you're absolutely right. And like, the most frustrating thing about it is just as it starts to feel like uh, it's coming together, she sort of pivots. Yeah. So just as you start to feel like, okay, I think we're understanding what she's saying about Granny Rose. Suddenly she's talking about um, how the practice is all about words being yeah. powerful. And it's like, no, wait, is, is this different or is it not? Um, it reminded me of like watching Lost growing up. Uh, that mm. sort of sense of like Mara, Mara was just JJ Abramsing us. Where every time she started teasing us with an answer, she just substitute it for another question. Yeah, um, uh, it's it's diabolical and like it just grips you. I think my live read again had huge gaps here because I just was kind of like waiting for the information to drop so I could talk about that. But instead, I was getting caught in a new loop of tantalizing yeah. teasing. And you don't really realize it's happening, which is why it's such a good delay strategy, mm. is because it's so tantalizing. And you're like, oh, yes, this next thread links to this thread and this thread and this thread. Yeah. And then it's, you know, half an hour later and you've missed the meeting. <laughs> yeah. And, and you sort of, and, and I hit the end and I was like, I have no idea what to do with any of the information that was just dropped on me. Like there, there was so much there. And yet I'm like, more confused than when i started yeah yeah um, but actually i do want to i don't want to jump into some of it because yeah sure I, i'm sure some of the stuff in here like as blake establishes later mara isn't really a, a, a liar by nature 
So yes. I'm assuming like most of in here, most of the stuff in here is hinting at something genuine. She was just going out of her way to not actually like let the shoe drop. Um, so one thing I do want to talk about is uh, there's a bit where Blake just tries to turn it on Mara, uh, and he he says to her, "You have no life, Crone Mara. You're nothing, and you're throwing away lives for nothing." And then Mara responds, and who are you to throw stones? Which, That's a pretty good first burn. Of all, yeah. It's a sick burn. Like, I know we hate Mara right now, but good one. Yeah. Um, we'll pay a good it, burn, no matter who yeah. makes it. <laughs> but um, like, I, I think this fits into this whole argument she, she makes. Because basically what we start to talk about towards the end is that the practice is all about paying a cost for some benefit. And, and generally, I'd say the rule is the cost is greater than the reward. So basically what every type of pract- practitioner is trying to do is find a practice that lets them min-max what what they care about. Like what you want to do is pay a price you're happy to pay for a, a gain that, you know, you wouldn't otherwise be able to get. Mm. Um, and I think that fits in so perfectly with, with all the stuff we talk about, about how what you practice s- says something about you. Because what it is is in in universe as well. What you're what you're doing by defining yourself by a certain type of practice is saying these are the things I care about. These are the things I want, and, and you know, so I'm happy to pay more in this department to get a little in this other department. Mm. Um, and, and you know, so for instance, even like a diabolus is sort of like you're willing to pay a, a fuckload of karma to get some, you know, generally it seems to be fairly basic materialistic wishes, like you know, a nice house and stuff. Um, so I just, I just love this idea of, of another layer of fitting into this world, the idea that your characterization fits into what type of practice that you practice. Yeah. I guess it's interesting framing it as every method of practice is a trade-off and your what the type of practitioner you are is defining what you're willing to trade off. Right. Yeah, exactly. But I think that is a very like crone Mara way to think about it because she's obviously so willing to make some of the the biggest trade-offs that we would see, you know, trading off the lives of children, for example, right? Mm. Whereas if you're a, a practitioner like the Knights of the Basement, the trade-off that they're making really is we're comfortable not being the most powerful, but also not giving up parts of what makes us human. And I think that's I think that's yeah. the the kind of hidden trade-off is you don't need to be the most powerful person in the room. You can accept not being the most powerful in exchange for getting to keep the parts of yourself that you like. Yeah, well, and, and that's sort of what being a dabbler is, is being a dabbler is saying, I don't need that much power, whereas some of the others are saying, I need the power, and here is the price I'm willing to pay for it. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I, I kind of want to go through and think more about what are the prices that each practitioner is paying through this lens, right? Like the Bahames are paying yeah. their time as children and also the time of their families, which seems a moderately acceptable price to pay. It's opt-in, you know, it's not the worst system. <laughs> yeah, and you're doing it to yourself, not to others, uh, which you can hold over someone like Mara uh, morally. Yeah, but then I guess the other way of framing that is it's kind of like a like a protection racket, you know? Oh, you just pay in a few hours every, every whatever week and in exchange, we'll keep you safe because you're a behame. Yeah, that's, that's very true. It's a bit of a like, you know, familial cult. Yeah. Depends Um, how you frame it. But, but I mean, that's the thing is, is particularly when kids come into it, you're sort of grooming them into wanting to do the same kind of practice in general. And that's, Again, because you as a family have decided these are the prices you're willing to pay and you indoctrinate your children to have that same sort of mindset so they will continue the path. Yeah. Um, uh, Mara also 
obviously talks about Granny Rose's plan a bunch here. And I wasn't sure if I meant to be like, like as a reader trying to get information out of this or is like, cause I think Blake doesn't know like a lot of the stuff we've seen in like Alistair's interlude, for example, mm. about how Granny Rose just wanted to spin the top and have something run into it while it was, you know, t- tilted. Mm. Um, so I wasn't sure if we were meant to be, like, if I as a reader was meant to learn something from this, or if we're just seeing Ma- Mara talk around that knowledge that we already know. I think on the second read-through, I, I lent more towards that. There's nothing here new for us. There's just stuff here new for Blake. But um, I'm I'm not 100% sure. I mean, yeah, fair enough. <laughs> I don't know either. It's kind of like, I don't know. I, I kind of, I, I see it as a trap to dive into. And I'm kind of like, I don't want to dive into that trap. Yeah, exactly. I'm following into the trap Mara set for Blake. Is, yes. Is exactly what's happening here. There can't still be more Granny Rose twists in this story, surely. I mean, surely, <laughs> surely, surely we've hit the end of those. We'll see. Um, so Mara kind of reveals to Blake that Johannes going to uh, Hillsglade House isn't to to do any crazy power play or it is but not an an (laughs) offensive one um his real power is his words right his real power is he's going to make some kind of bargain and um mara is revealing more information but making enough lies here that she's eventually lost all of her power and without her power they lose the ability to detect whether she's lying or not uh yeah which is like the the whole point of all of this was to get her to lie to remove her power. So of course yeah. these things were going to get less and less powerful. Like I don't, I was a little surprised Blake didn't know that this deadline was coming up. Like he didn't even <laughs> consider it until it had happened. Yeah, and it was sort of like, well, yeah, of course they were going to get less and less powerful. Like she has no power anymore. Um, but it's obviously like it 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 really spices up the interaction because suddenly they lose their lie detector test. And yeah. in effect, the lie detector test is something we very much come to rely on in this story. Yes. Um, yeah, knowing that practitioners can't lie is a very useful tool. Uh, and we mm-hmm. see how how uh, how important it is when we lose it, right? Um, yeah, exactly. And I think Mara, like, for all the talk of not obeying modern practitioner conventions, Mara really has a flair for the dramatic because I feel like this is exactly how she saw this was going to go down once she started being interrogated. Her, <laughs> her losing the ability to lie at the pivotal moment and then, sorry, her, her them losing their lie detector ability at the pivotal moment and then her kind of playing off of that to continue to keep Blake on the hook. Oh, she, yeah, she absolutely contrived this this scenario. Like she she got the information out there right to the point that she needed it to be and then sort of you know yeah i i I think she planned exactly for this timing to work out yeah um so blake is completely unwilling to bargain with mara which she offers since now they can't detect her lies um (laughs) and kind of as a bit of a fuck you reveals to her that they've burned down her hag shack which is pretty horrible i love this moment so much like it's such a good um fuck you moment she's like oh now you'll have to bargain with me and he just sort of picks her up turns around and it's just like fuck you you have nothing. Yes. Um, and because it's Mara, I think I'm allowed to feel good about this. Yeah, it feels uh, a little bit <laughs> shitty being so happy at her pain, yeah. but it also feels good. Um, and it's finally, yeah, exactly. like, it's just, this it's... is the thing that finally breaks through. Mm. Yeah, she absolutely just sort of snaps here. I love it. I mean, she kind of regains her composure moderately quickly, but we've seen her be able to basically take anything in stride so far and this and this is the thing that breaks her and i fucking love it 
Yeah, but it, but it's like she doesn't come back quite normal. Like before, yes. she was still in her like her version of scrapping for survival. Like yeah. she was she was setting up a position of power for herself where she could try and get something. Um, then she's lost the house, and it kind of feels like she switches into well, now I have nothing. So it's 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 almost not that she's gone back to like a position of calm confidence. She's gone to a position of like emptiness like she's yeah it's very nothing to lose isn't it yeah but it's not it's like for it's not the angry nothing to lose for very long it kind of quickly turns into just the quiet like fuck all of this uh nothing to lose thing yeah um yeah now can we talk about evan's reaction to this which again (laughs) is like yes on one level Kind of like, okay, it makes sense. Like, yes, it's Mara. We're allowed to be happy and fuck her. But on another level, he's very gleefully proclaiming arson. And it just, again, it just didn't sit (laughs) right with me. I'm just kind of like, Evan, what's going on with you, man? Yeah, no, I I felt, I I went through the same reaction. I was kind of like trying to tell myself it's okay because it's Mara. But there's there's something inside you as you read this. It's just like, I don't like that Evan is celebrating arson and other crimes yes and- uh, which has been an ongoing thing he celebrated blake's murder a couple of times yeah. throughout the arc like it's just it's sitting less and less well with me uh how comfortable he's becoming in this world yeah and and blake puts it down to the fact that you know he's still dealing with the fact that blake is not going to be there at the end of all this which yes okay that's a, a pretty good reason for evan to be not having a great time but again just kind of like just doesn't sit right the way that he acts out sometimes yeah, yeah, um, I agree. So here's another fun quote from Mara. Uh, they're talking. She's talking about how uh, this deal is going to basically sour. It's going to be a real monkey's paw for everybody involved, um, except Blake. Uh, to which she says, "You monster! You won't even get a mockery of a wish. Nothing in the outcome will resemble anything you desire." And again, <laughs> I mean, I think Blake just kind of buys it. Like he's he's already thinking this, and so. It just slots exactly into what he's already thinking. Yeah. Um, I mean, obviously, I, we've already talked a bit about Like, I love both both the ideas you've just sort of talked about. Like, the idea that um, everyone will get a mockery of what they really want. Yeah. And, and, you, and you just sort of... I, like, I'm with Blake. You just sort of believe Mara because it's like, well, I've, I've read 14 arcs of this story. Like, yeah. that sounds about right. Yeah, it's um, a, it, it is just a classic monkey's paw kind of deal, right? Yeah, exactly. And then and then you're right. Like, uh, But then Blake, on top of that, is just sort of like so accepting of the fact that he won't even get the mockery of what he wants. He's, he's going to get nothing. And I mean, if you think about it, he's got nothing to pay with, uh, I guess is my thing. Like, he's, mm. like, like that, that sort of all the talk of price and stuff that, that we've been going through. Blake is in this interesting position now where he's got, what, his tiny sliver of flesh in the middle of his face and maybe some eyeballs. Uh, like, he's got nothing left to pay. Like, he talked about how he always sacrifices yeah. bits of himself. I think that's been his payment for being part of the practice. And, like, that's the thing. He's running out of funds. Well, yeah. I mean, the deal that he made with the Abyss most recently was, you know, I'll get you something else. My my presence in the world is going to feed you somehow, right? And so yeah. he's kind of taken this line of credit as a what as a debt where the, where the you know where the collateral is that he's just going to fuck somebody else up or something. You don't, you don't really yeah. know. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I guess we're getting to the point where all he's got left is debt to rack up, right? 
pretty much. Or yeah. I guess people to to trade in, like Evan <laughs> or the Cabal or something. I don't know. Yeah, but God, speaking about having gone too far, like that's that's when I'd have no issues with Rose and Alistair stepping in if that's the if that's the road he ends up going down. I mean, yeah, that's fair enough. Um, so Blake at this point kind of realizes, okay, I'm I'm just being played here. Like enough is enough. Um, and so he flies off, leaving the rest of the group behind to kind of catch up. Uh, he he rushes back, flying to the house. He arrives there and sees that he's almost too late. Um, Johannes has made his case, and everybody is already on board. Yeah, I think I think the way it's phrased, we're meant to get the impression that uh, Jeremy is like on board, on board, as in he's he's said yes, yes. Whereas uh, Alistair and Rose are more kind of in the I don't know. He's talking a lot of sense phase but they haven't actually said yes yet um yeah they haven't said yes yet like the the deal hasn't been agreed upon but it seems like they're they don't have any reason not to say yes yeah whereas i got the impression jeremy has already said yes yeah and and you can sort of see i guess i'm I've, I'm working off assumptions as to what the offers to all of them are i mean to jeremy it's presumably something to do with sandra um mara even says as much uh, with, yep. with Alistair, I wonder if Johannes is offering him succession and, like, you know, being the right-hand man. Yeah, I, um, I I think all you need to offer Alistair is, hey, you're the lieutenant, you're the second-in-command, and he'll be pretty happy with that. Like, let's be real, the Bahames are kind of natural second-in-commands. <laughs> um, yeah, well, and I just think, like, Alistair does sort of want the peace, and, and, you know, we've talked so much about the Junior Council, and Mara even references them. I get this sense that Johannes just promising peace, promising to end all this, and the price is just Alistair being the second in command. Seems like something where Alistair would be like, oh, and then eventually I'll take over. It, it works. Um, but I don't think Johannes is that old. Like, I think Alistair would be second in command for a lot longer than he thinks. And I don't think Alistair would work very well as a second in command kind of guy. Mm. So, uh, it, I, like, I, I could see that being the mockery that he wants. Yes, it's possible that Johannes is setting up something like, hey, I'll get this portion but the junior council can you know be the democratic rulers of this aspect or something like that um oh yeah and of you course can that... be the regents of this area yeah. but like johannes would have more of a say than um alistair's picturing yes uh that that's kind of what it feels like to me yeah yeah maybe um so so uh, as we sort of start to talk about like the rest of what's going on in here um, I wanted to call back to something Mara says, like, right at the start of the chapter, uh, but comes into play here, where she talks about Rose and Blake, um, she says that Blake has the heart at the center of his being, so, suck shit, Rose, I told you so, um, and obviously Rose is the head, the, the, the you know, the, the logical brain, yep. um, but, you know, Blake's heart has, you know, kind of been overcome by Abyss, and Rose has a conquest in her brain. So Mara's kind of telling Blake here that both of them need to cut across those instincts and and do the opposite. Like Blake needs to use his brain and Rose needs to try and use her heart. Um, Which I mean, you know, will be interesting Blake trying to pitch that to her. Uh, (laughs) But um, I I mean, it's it's just so like, uh, to me, it just reminded me of all the stuff with the tarot cards, like the left hand, right hand reading um like that whole idea of use your left hand when the right one's overworked yeah um like i think we're sort of finally seeing a bit of a delivery on that um in a very concrete way um because apparently blake uses rationality and logic to determine the whole phase all thing which we'll get into in a bit 
um, because my logic and rationality certainly didn't get me there very quickly. Um, but yeah, I, like, I don't know. I, I think I, I'm really interested to see how both of them go or if Rose will even listen to him, trying to do the opposite of, of their natural way to tackle problems. Yeah, I, I think Rose kind of in her heart does feel something's off, right? Because she has this moment where she looks at Blake kind of apologetically being like, no, this actually seems like a good deal. We kind of should mm. take it. Even though she, I think she feels that it's not right, you know? Um, and the idea that Blake's heart would want to take the deal is because, you know, Blake's heart is corrupted by the Abyss and the deal is basically, hey, Abyss, here, take care of this stuff, <laughs> which yeah, I'm assuming yeah. the Abyss is in favour of. I mean, it's interesting, like, going back to the conversation they had last chapter, I think you could frame it in a way that Blake was trying to use his head and Rose was trying to use her heart. Like, Rose actually opened up to him in a way she hasn't even really done before. Uh, and Blake was constantly ignoring his abyss-helped italicized instincts. Um, mm. So, like, I, you know, you could say that the the small victory they had last chapter was maybe an example of them working like this. Yeah, uh, maybe I like that's that. reaching. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I guess the interesting thing for me here is obviously Johannes makes Blake the offer of, "Hey, we'll just give you your body back," and there's not any discussion on what the terms or conditions associated with that would be. Yeah, it kind of seems like a freebie of, "Hey, s- stop fighting." And I'll give you like a whole body. Mm. Um, and like, I don't know, to me, that seems like a heart and a head good deal. So like, yes. I was kind of trying to figure out how using his head goes against this. And I think it's the sort of thinking about Faisal that makes him realize that this is not a deal he should take. Well, Faisal already offered him this deal, right? Like, yeah, he did. He did. There, there was that moment after Blake fought the three grumpy babies or whatever the fuck they were. When, <laughs> I, I, yes, yes yeah. where where Faisal said, hey, you know, bend the knee to Johannes and we can solve this for you. And Blake refused then. And I think that he probably is having a bit of that same vibe now that he had then of like, too good to be true, doesn't mesh with my worldview that I have to sacrifice myself, can't even process this deal, you know? Mm, mm. Um, yeah, exactly. Um, so before we he gets to the house, there's this bit where Blake... Uh, I'll read it out. It's beautiful. Turning my face and chest skyward, facing the sun, wings spread, taking in the warmth one last time. Um, explicitly calling out, last little moment for you of happiness, Blake, before we descend into the darkness. Yeah, we talked about it a lot last chapter, about how last chapter felt like this last little bit of light. Yeah we were going to get and this only reinforces that impression yeah um and there's one other bit of that where uh as blake gets to the house alexis is there and he says i loved her and i couldn't bear to look at her i wasn't sure that that would ever change which again is to me a bit of blake just can't ever go back to normal like things will just never recover from from the events of this story for blake and so he's already on board with the idea of I just don't have a life waiting for me at the end of this. Yeah, you're right. I hadn't quite thought about it like that, but it does seem like him sort of acknowledging that some of this stuff is just broken beyond repair. Yeah. Um, like, And these these were some of the last things he was holding on to from memory. Yeah. So Johannes reveals his terrible, horrifying plan, which is be nice and compromise. Um, and Blake obviously Awful. can't stand for any plan that lets multiple people be happy. So he plays his uh, reverse trap card. Um, surprise, Faisal and Barbatorum are in this together. 
<laughs> I really I really like the writing here, like how how this is led up to. Um Blake and kind of by extension Wabo go through this list of the whole story and how often Blake has you know had friends turn into enemies and vice versa um yes and and you know of course like as it's going you're kind of like i don't understand exactly where this is going like is he going to decide that johannes is his friend or something (laughs) yeah which also could work yeah and then there's just obviously this galaxy brain uh declaration that Faisal is in league with barbatorum the thing i love Um, about it is you really get the vibe that blake is just kind of making a stab at this as he's figuring it out it's like yeah so he, he's projecting confidence because he feels that he needs to but he really isn't confident in this being the the secret twist no it's it's a classic blakeism of oh, yeah okay that makes sense i'm just gonna i'm just gonna go off it as gospel yeah um, uh, but i think the reason it works to me at least is i was it it, might, it was either last chapter or the chapter before where we had those two mentions of enemies or somebody that they like having twice this night things that he thought were allies turned out to be enemies with uh with Podrig yeah. uh, slash mags and with Corviday slash Alexis slash Corviday whatever um <laughs> and then he thinks oh I, I hope it won't happen for a third time as he looks at Rose and then this kind of pays that off right he he's thinking again about enemies and allies and now this third time is instead uh Faisal as the theoretical ally or slash enemy, I guess, turning out to be an even worse enemy slash ally to Barbatorum. Um, mm, which I, I hadn't thought of that. I really like it. Yeah, yeah, I think it's a fun third beat that pays off in like subconscious as we see this unfold. Yeah, um, yeah, I agree. So, um, and, and I mean, do you buy this theory? Still, what do you think? I do, honestly. Like, it's bonkers. I still, I really struggled with the whole. You know, this is meant to be break. Yeah, this is meant to be Blake using his brain in like a very. <laughs> logical way yeah and, and and just the way he sort of leaps from all these points that are associated with it to this is the truth i like i there was a big whiplash for me and and so i it took me a while to try and reconcile this with any sort of logic that i can put together and and i guess we'll talk about that but um it, like it 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 took a while for me to sort of buy it on any logical level but i still kind of immediately bought it as like okay, like I've learned to trust Blake with this sort of thing and that is like a fantastic twist. And then the more I've thought about it, the more I'm sort of like, okay, I can see why this might be a thing. Mm. Mm. Yeah, fair enough. I, I guess it the the Blake goes, well, the, the line is, Blake, I think the key line to me is, Blake thinks my instincts were the problem, right? Assumptions and labels were ruinous here. And I think the core assumption that's being challenged is angels and demons, they're at war right yes yeah well like they are held up as opposite ends of the spectrum as kind of ultimate chaos ultimate order and we're challenging this assumption that those are opposites and they can't ever mix (coughs) yeah um but yeah so that's that's the end of sin ada 14.9 yeah we'll have to see uh how this bold declaration plays out next chapter I assume fourteen ten opens with what I assume everyone who's ever read this reacted, which is what? Huh? What? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. So, so for a bonus bit today, well, okay. So originally, I had a really big prediction that I was going to sort of walk everyone through about how 
how what what my secret idea for Johannes's big plan was. Um, that's obviously already dead in the water. Uh, but uh, I I guess I, I don't know. I think there's some ideas in here that it still hold. So we're just gonna go through it quickly. I guess I'll do the, the short summary version. Mm. Um. So, like, uh, we were talking about this on the Discord. I think it was uh, Isha Moradin who, who sort of prompted it. Um, and, and the the idea I sort of reached after a while was um, that Johannes had cut a deal with the Abyss. So, it's so obviously before we knew Faisal was the thing, I was thinking maybe Johannes was sacrificing Jacob's Bell to the Abyss in return for something. I had a bunch of theories on as to what exactly that could have been. Um, but the one I actually liked the most was that he wasn't getting anything now. I was like, cause we still don't know how he got his domain and masked all the stuff around it. And so my theory was that the abyss was what he'd use. And so he owed a debt to the abyss, which he was now paying. Mm. Um, anyway, now, now I'm, I mean, that could still be also the case. Um, and, and I liked it, especially cause you know, Johannes is covered in all these like scars and, and stuff, which people say is from defending his domain but nobody knew that he was making it so yeah um i i wouldn't be surprised if maybe that was the uh deposit uh to the abyss yeah um yeah that could be right it, i mean it could still be true it feels a lot less likely to me now that um johannes isn't actually the big bad um like I, I hate to say this but i, I maybe johannes isn't a secretly a piece of shit no I mean, there's still all the weird imagery of the pipes and the kids, so I'm not I'm not willing to give him full amnesty just yet. Uh, <laughs> sure. But uh, yes, obviously, I think maybe he is actually uh, not the worst, as I've kind of just ri- written him off as being uh, the whole story. Um, <laughs> so, so obviously, wait. Now I think I like, I really want to discuss with you what Faisal and Barb's might be doing in in concert. Mm. Um, or I suppose, I mean, do we, I guess Blake says Faisal's the baddie, not both of them. Although maybe in Barbatorum's case, it's not I'm just wondering if Faisal is actually communicating with Barbatorum or just planning on using him or something. Um, anyway, so I don't know if this is like a full mutual alliance or whether this is just Faisal wanting to unleash Barbatorum, I guess. Uh, but like, uh, I'm more interested in trying to learn why Faisal might want to work with barbatorum in any way shape or form have you got any predictions of what that could be uh like the reason yeah like what the reason that you think uh, if if you say Faisal wants to use barbs as a tool what is that tool that like what is he hoping to achieve by using that tool yeah yeah so so i actually went back because i had all these like ideas of, of Faisal and his backstory that we knew so far but um i went and freshed up on them um and sort of reread most of the conversations he had with Blake and Mags and uh I I think the big one I reckon is in uh 10.5 um where Faisal sort of talks about how his motivations aren't angelic um but really the focus here is how on this idea that humanity is winning um and it's actually you know where Faisal first started talking to us about how the abyss is a thing that you can use to start change um mm. But he also kind of avoids any of Blake's questions about whether humanity is a positive influence on the war against demons. And so I guess I'm just working off the assumption now that Faisal has decided that humanity is the problem. <laughs> and obviously like that fits in kind of with what him and Johannes are setting up. It's kind of like, 
Johannes has tried to set up his nature reserve or whatever, and Faisal's come in with an even more extremist viewpoint and has just used it as a launching pad to to launch his own even more extremist movement, um, mm. which is what what's happening here. Uh, but yeah, so I guess the, the, the next sort of step from here is if Faisal reckons humans are too powerful and he and the other angels can't really get together to defeat us, maybe Faisal's decided that using demons to ruin us, as, as Barbatorum would, is the best strategy. Like, this is Faisal's version of scrapping. He, he knows this is terrible, but he thinks it's worth the cost. And from that, what expand the nature reserve to be, you know, back in the good old days, how things were? Uh, maybe. Like, at the very least, I think he just wants to take humans down a peg. Like, we've clearly, it's been set up how much humanity is defining the world. Um, we've even talked about that so much more recently, about how, like, all the others in areas were getting more and more intelligent. Yes. Um, when humans showed up. And, and so there's, there's maybe just a lot where... He he may not necessarily want to completely eradicate humans. Maybe he does, but he definitely wants to tilt the scales back in the favor of the others and the old ways a fair bit. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's a good transition then from what we were talking about with Mara, right? Because Mara was talking about humans being shit and how things were yeah. much better back in the day. Yeah. Like, I think I think we, we talked about how the Duchamps are like, the current system needs to stay. And then Mara represented this idea of, oh, the old ways are the good ways. And it kind of feels like we've just immediately cut her down and we're now moving on to Faisal, who's an even bigger representation of that. Um, mm. and, 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 you know, on all the stuff as well about others getting more intelligent, like, you know, presumably, I think Faisal, he talks about how he was the gatekeeper, like, well before humanity and stuff. And, and we've got, like, the original demons. I wonder if a new demons and new angels that spring up are more intelligent and that's that's making this arms race worse. Like that could be part of his motivation. You know, if, if the angels and the demons, uh, like the, the new versions and the new imps are smarter and smarter because of humans influence, that's going to make things worse and worse. It, it, the analogy I kind of kept coming back to was the idea of like computer viruses and antiviruses. Like right. there's this idea of as, as new technology comes out or something, what, what usually happens is the virus gets made first and then the antivirus companies have to react and so yeah. if, if the demons are getting smarter and smarter as they're being born, and, and maybe the angels are too, but the demons kind of get to make the first move. And in fact, that's actually how I've retconned not understanding. Like when, when Faisal originally said that an equal angel and an equal demon like wouldn't necessarily be on par, like I think maybe this is the sort of thing he was talking about. Like the angels are reactive and the demons are proactive and mm. maybe that's the difference there. Yeah, that makes sense because then... The, the angel is always going to be a step behind at an equal level, the demon. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Mm. And so like, that is something I could see that is becoming more and more of a problem as smarter uh, demons and angels are being born. Mm. Okay. A lot of stuff to unpack there, and we'll see how it pans out, <laughs> I suppose. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm so excited for this next chapter where I assume we all convince everyone of the truth, and then Fezal probably jumps in at the end to just uh, tell everyone how fucked they are. <laughs> We'll see, I suppose. Um, but that's the end of Cine Day 14.9. If we want to tune in to see Faisal tell everyone how fucked they are next chapter, then uh, <laughs> we'll, you'll have to come back next time, I guess. Uh, yes. So in, in the meantime, it'd be great. I know the show is starting to wind down. We're reaching the end. Uh, but any reviews on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, etc., they boost the 
um, publicity of the show, which in turn boosts the publicity of Pact. Heck and, yeah. Uh, you know, we get more and more people involved in the community. Yes. Um, if you want to leave your thoughts on this episode, uh, leave us a review. Or you can leave them in the discussion thread. Uh, I would normally say to put your uh, Q&A questions in there, but you're too late. (laughs) (laughs) We're doing it next chapter, and this episode isn't coming out until after we've already recorded, I'm afraid. So I'm sorry about that. Um, But hey, tune in soon for a new episode with a QA and a in it. So that'll be fun. Yes. Uh, And obviously, uh, we we already talked about this uh, last episode, but All Packed Up is going to be a big thing uh we we've released some more stuff so uh you don't just get to leave us your thoughts anymore but like we're we're taking ideas for various activities and um suggestions on on other things so as we mentioned last episode we have that google form link um and that'll be linked in the description of this episode as well so you can look for that in the show notes down below while you're looking for things look for our twitter Mm -hmm. at mediumd podcast why not follow us you never know what stuff might go up on there surprise yeah, probably. Live <laughs> um yeah, and uh doformedia.com is the place to go if if you've had enough deep impact and you want some other great podcasts. Uh, uh most of them are off this week, not going to lie, but uh MediaMD, they're still there. Uh they just did the night before uh for their Christmas episode. Yeah. Um if you can't get enough deep impact, uh, you can go to patreon.com forward slash doofmedia and support the network. Now, the reason I say this is because there is theoretically a price point at which if you pay us enough money, we'll do another version of Deep Impact, probably called Deeper Impact, where we do the whole thing again. Now, I don't know what the amount that we would have to receive in donations for that to happen is, but there theoretically is an amount. You know? Well, there's only one way to find out. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so uh, support the network on Patreon and say explicitly, this money is for deeper impact. And if it hits, I don't know, an extra, what, five grand a month, ten grand a month, that'll probably be enough for us to want to do it. <laughs> um, um, yeah. So, you know, while we're talking about donations, obviously, Walbo spits out a lot of words a week. Uh, and if you head on over to patreon.com forward slash Walbo, you can keep him doing the churn. Yes. Um, yeah. And speaking of uh, things going on forever, like this evening, uh, the next episode of CineADA, uh, our discussion on CineADA 14.10, will be coming out on Monday the 30th. Right? New Year's Eve Eve, we call it. Um, so <laughs> stay tuned for that. And I hope you guys are having a wonderful holiday season. Yep, we'll see you then. See ya.